from the creators of Relevant Magazine, this is the Relevant Podcast. It's Tuesday, December 3rd, 2019, and welcome to the Christmas season era of this year's Relevant Podcast. I'm your host, Tyler Huckabee, coming at you from Nashville, Tennessee, down there in Orlando, Florida, on the ones and twos, as always, manning the ship, making sure we don't go into the ditch. It's my friend, our illustrious (laughs) producer, Chandler String. Hello. And over there in Loveland, Virginia, also making sure we don't go into the ditch, but never doing a very good job of it. It's my friend, Jesse Carey. <laughs> hello, hello. I've spent a lot of time in ditches over the years. It's been, <laughs> as the decade is coming to a close, I've been reflecting on ditch time and it's been significant. <laughs> as the years go on, you just spend, there's, it's a little more ditch time, less road time. You know, you know what I mean? You know, I, I've been, I remember, I have an early memory of getting stuck in a large ditch as a child and I didn't really care it was all right down there it was one of those big concrete (laughs) ditches and me and my brother were like you know trying to we had we had some contraption that we made that was like a coffee Mm -hmm. this is back it sounds like when I describe this all of a sudden that I grew up in the era of like newsies or like Huckleberry Finn but it was before (laughs) like Fortnite and so we we had like a coffee can and a string and we're trying to like dip it and we were pretty far from home with like again Mm -hmm. Like I, this is before like there was a na- like the free range shoulder move. This is just when kids just walked out of the house and just didn't return for hours on end, and parents really didn't think about <laughs> uh-huh. it. Like uh-huh. I don't think before, I don't know before the PC police before the <laughs> before the PC SJWs <laughs> made you keep tabs on your children twenty four seven. Yeah, like I don't know, I don't know. If this is something that still happens anymore. But back then, I didn't think about it. Like literally, it wasn't like hey, going out. It was just like I'm just walking out of the house as a nine-year-old uh-huh. and I don't know when I'll return. And literally we found a cool <laughs> like concrete drainage ditch and we had this contraption to like put down there and get tadpoles out. Of course we immediately drop it and I'm like no big deal. I will crawl down there and retrieve it and we will get all the tadpoles that we need. And and again I, I'm down in the ditch and I have no way out. Once I'm down there I didn't think about how to get out. You know my brother tried to hand me a stick and again as I'm talking to uh-huh. it like this it sounds like me and my brother were characters like a in a Mark Sawyer, Twain yeah. novel. But I yeah, spent quite Mr. a bit of time yeah, I spent quite a bit of time down in that ditch that afternoon while my brother went and got my parents. And I'll be honest, I think he took his time. I think he may have run a couple errands <laughs> on his bike. I think he may have gone to a friend's house and just left left me in that ditch longer. But ever since then, I've been comfortable just diving right into the ditch and hanging out down there. So that's when, where we are. When you're a little kid, at least if you grow up uh, sort of out in the country when you're and you're a little kid, there's a, not a, your first instinct with a lot of problems that come up is like, get a stick. <laughs> Remember those? Like you said, that's, that's where it's sort of like option one. If that fails, we'll resort to calling in the adults, the grownups. But first, let's just see if somebody can grab on to either if some leaves or a branch or something around me that I pick up can help solve the situation. And I don't think it was ever very successful, but yeah, you had to try. It, it, it's like, uh, you know, finding a stick as a child is basically like your first introduction to the scientific method. Like see a cool hole <laughs> yeah. in the ground, let's uh-huh. jam a stick down there, see if anything comes out. <laughs> let's, let's see like a cool looking nest of some sort of wasp or hornet or something. 
Better go poke it with a stick. Your friend giving you trouble, whack him with a, you know, let's resolve this over a good old fashioned stick fight. You know, as kids, sticks were really a valuable resource. It was, it was a value. It was a, they, I think because uh, part of it had to do with just the, how plentiful they were. Uh, you, you always have a few sticks around. So, so you had to go with what you, you had to work with whatever you had. You could build homes out of them and people did. Yeah. Uh, yeah. like a, make a nice little tree for it. I know. Chandler, yeah. where you uh, where where you grew up out there, where how how big how big was the outdoors to your childhood? Well, growing up, we lived in the woods, so yeah. pretty big. Yeah, that'll do it. Yeah, so that would imagine it's pretty big. Definitely how, pretty big. And, you hang out. And Chandler, you know, I I've you know we we've known each other a long time. You yeah. seem like the type of person. I don't I don't picture that you had many enemies out in those woods as a child. But <laughs> I, you do strike me as someone who would probably fashion some sort of spear or booby traps around the house just in case something went down. Just Is that case. accurate? Did you ever do something like that? That's pretty accurate. Yeah. Yeah. yeah for sure. sure. Yeah. Weapons. For sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. I was pretty into uh, pretty into weapons growing up. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know why kids have like this fascination with booby traps. It's as if like in a kid booby trap, there's like you watch Home Alone and you're like, OK, uh -huh. how hard could this be to protect my house from invaders? You know, but I mean, literally, it's just like digging a hole and like the only booby trap you really know how to do as a kid is like you dig a hole and you cover it with like sticks and leaves and hoping that someone will step in it. You know, like that'll trap the burglar. He'll be down in that hole. And he'll never get to me. You know, I'll be able to call the police. I'll be a local hero. When in reality, you, as a kid, you don't have the ability to dig that deep. And your dad sprains his ankle, cutting the grass. And you just get in a lot of trouble. That's, <laughs> and then you get your stick privileges taken away. Home Alone had a weirdly big influence, an outsized influence, I would say, on like growing up in the late 80s, early 90s. That part of Home Alone really did a number on those of us who were like, well, I don't have a plan ready to go in case to bro. I, I need to, to be I'm way underprepared for the wet bandits to invade, especially Christmas time. Like, I don't know what I would do if my mom left, if, if mom and the rest of the family head out and they forget that I'm around, that they, they just leave for Christmas vacation and leave me at home. Kevin was much more resourceful than I would have been. Oh man, I would have been I would have starved. I, I, starved yeah, I would I would have starved and they and they would have ransacked my home for all the valuables. And you know, because here's the thing, I didn't have a tarantula, I didn't have any cool pets growing up. That's true. And yeah, also yeah. my BB gun was confiscated literally the day I obtained it. Like <laughs> I immediately lost BB gun privileges. And frankly, they weren't too crazy about me finding sticks after a while. So I would have been <laughs> <laughs> like you know my homemade nunchucks were all i had were all i had and and those were more lethal to me than anyone else i mean i've yeah so did anyway. you uh did, did you uh speaking of, of home alone uh it's christmas time uh here coming out of thanksgiving and into the the official holiday season i'm looking around jesse i'm not seeing uh it doesn't look like you've decorated up there in the office have you all put up the tree or anything yet Oh yeah, we 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 obtained a very large Christmas tree last night from my home, and uh, we started mm -hmm. that. Um, you know, pretty excited, I guess, uh, for for decorating. I'll be honest, as an adult, seems like a lot of work just to be undone in about a week, <laughs> in a couple weeks. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like you <laughs> enjoy it for about a week, and it's then you already yeah. like it's, it's like, do I even put the boxes back in the attic, or can we just kind of shove them in a corner? Because honestly, like three weeks from now, we're gonna have the conversation about getting the boxes out again. You know, like there's got to be <laughs> there's yeah. got to be some kind of solution here. 
you know, either extend the appropriate season for decorating or, you know, figure out a solution for these boxes. You know, like, I mean, I'm all, I don't want to sound like a Grinch here, but it is, it is a lot of, it's a lot of task, a lot of task involved, you know, somebody could, somebody could really make a, a small fortune off Christmas boxes that doubled as decoration decorations. Like you just leave them out and around and it looks like they're supposed to be part of the Christmas, the like Christmas setup around there. Yeah. I'm sure those exist somewhere with all the Christmas decorations they've got. When I was in college, I briefly had a job. I briefly, because I was terrible at it, and uh, uh, I lost the job almost immediately, mainly because <laughs> of things involving me hitting things with sticks. But uh, <laughs> like the rich neighborhood would pay college kids to hang Christmas lights, which I always felt like was a good gig. Oh, sure. You know, good yeah, season. Yeah. Yeah, that's kick, a, good, you know? a good job. Yeah. But I will mm-hmm. say this. If rich people are paying you to do something, they hold you to a pretty high standard. And I have no training <laughs> in Christmas lights, so I don't know what they expect. They could ease up and not get so mad and not fire me after the first day because it's not as easy as it looks. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so, people get persnickety about it. They got yeah. really exacting ideas of what they want their Christmas house to look, their Christmas house, their little North Pole cottage to look like. And I'm sorry that a single string of lights can't deliver on your Santa Claus fantasies. I'm sorry you weren't thinking that the manger would be made out of sticks this year. But I think it looks pretty authentic. And yes, it is booby trapped because you don't know who's going to go and try to vandalize your setup. I'm, yeah, I, I booby trapped the, the nativity scene. Free of charge for you, sir. So for you to fire me right now is a pretty big blow because your whole yard's booby trapped, courtesy of me, and no one's messing with your lights. And frankly, if your house gets burglarized, I like your chances, at least of the bad guy breaking an ankle on the way out. So you can fire me if you want, but I, I say job well done and Merry Christmas to you. Too. You mean on the on the outchance if somebody comes to steal the baby Jesus out of whatever Mr. McAllister's front yard, whoever it is is going to step on a nail like they did like they did or get, get a paint can to the face or any other number of, of definitely life risking, if not straight up lethal uh, booby traps that Kevin had in Home Alone. Listen, I have dug a very large ditch around your home and I've covered the top with sticks and leaves. Bad guys are falling right in there and they're going to be stuck. Trust me, I've been down there. Not, not where they want to be. You should be thanking me, not suing me for digging a ditch in your yard. I went over and above and you are welcome. It's my gift to you, you and your neighborhood. So, But we do have a great Christmassy guest today, We Tyler. do have a, we have a great, yeah, very good Christmas, great, a great holiday season guest. Uh, uh, our pal Phil Wickham is going to be here for people who stuck around through the booby trap conversation. Phil Wickham is here to talk about, he's got a brand new Christmas album out this year. They talk to him a little bit about it and also hear, uh, hear a song from that album. Uh, we're going to take a quick break when we come back. Slices. Don't give my brother a you're listening to father christmas by the kinks beginning of the podcast you heard everything has gone wrong by the bombay bicycle club that's but the thieves are going to be saying from the bottom of the ditch after they fall in <laughs> on their way en route to steal your nativity. Everything has gone wrong. <laughs> While I poke them with a stick and remind them, cops are coming. Cops are coming. I just keep poking them. I keep poking them. That's what they get for stealing on Christmas. Well, it's time to look back at our weekly look at the news stories that caught our eye this week. It's time for Slices. 
Jesse, what do you got? Well, just when you thought conversations could not get more inconsequential than hoarding sticks <laughs> and child uh, ditch stories, I do have two completely uh, uh, inconsequential stories, but... I wanted to bring them because it's that time of year. And like, I feel like we have, uh, we got a lot of great content coming, but you know, a couple more breezy items. Uh, both of these were, were things that people sent to me on Twitter that I felt the need to address. One is related to our conversation about the app cameo, which okay. we talked about last week because so, so for some context, this app allows you to essentially pay various celebrities. And I say celebrities somewhat loosely, uh, to record video messages. And depending on the celebrity, they'll record whatever you want. Someone paid the lead singer of Sugar Ray, Mark McGrath. I think it was like mm-hmm. 150 bucks to break up with uh, her boyfriend. And he did an incredible job. He did. He was very gracious. Um, he was inspiring. And he delivered the hard news with a heart that only Mark McGrath or a member of Sugar Ray could do. We talked about it at length. Life affirming. Yeah, we had Derek Miner on. Uh, he, he, you know, he gave us his two cents. He seemed to like this idea. Well, someone, somehow I missed this earlier this year. You know, it's the end of the, not only is it the end of the year, it's the end of the decade. We're looking back to some of our favorite stories and, 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 and content over the years later in the show. But I wanted to talk about this story from back in February. Here's the headline. Oh, okay. Here's the headline. It came from Huffington Post, and I'm going to dig into it a little. Uh, For $5,000, you can hunt Bigfoot with Jose Canseco. Jose Canseco is uh, one of the two members of the Bash Brothers, a very, very large baseball player. Uh, I'll just say this. He played at the height of the steroid era, and he still is one of the most massive human beings ever. Uh, He's kind of a strange cat, Um, you know, has said some uh, potentially problematic things, but is kind of a a weird icon of the 90s, you know, Uh, active, active online. Still very active, unfortunately. Maintains a, maintains a, maintains a very active and, and I would say probably ill-advisedly uh, uh, loquacious Twitter presence. Yeah, he, he, he sounds off and gives his opinion on a lot of things that no one asked him to. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but back in February this year, uh, you know, this kind of shows the interesting moment we're at with internet culture and also celebrity culture, where they've sort of merged and made celebrity culture like a lot more obtainable. Like with Cameo, you can literally hire, uh, you know, someone yeah, yeah. that other people know to record messages for you for a small fee. This one is more is $5,000. But back in February, Jose Canseco tweeted these two messages. And forgive me for listeners that have been following this story since February. Uh, this, is what Jose, <laughs> this is what Jose Canseco tweeted. I'm going to read both tweets. Go on a Bigfoot and alien excursion with Jose Canseco. Contact Morgan Management at, and he left a phone number. The following tweet said, come spend the day with me and my alien buddies. I'll show you Bigfoot and a real alien. Call Morgan, and he left a phone number. Now I did call Morgan this afternoon. Okay, I wanted to Your see reporter. if this. I, I listen. Uh-huh. I'm a, I am a journalist, a consummate professional, and I need to know if this offer still stands uh, because I don't feel like you post something this a, a, a real alien. And he says, "I'll show you Bigfoot." Unfortunately, it went straight to voicemail. I can only assume that whoever's phone this is is just inundated has been inundated for, for months sure, sure. 
Uh, but the, the Huffington Post back in February <laughs> was able to uh, get a message from Morgan, who Jose Canseco just assumes we should know who Morgan is. Just call Morgan. He'll set this up. Listen, I promise in an alien in Bigfoot, Morgan will deliver. Just call him. He'll figure out the deets. Here's the message Huffington Post got. Spend the weekend with Jose for $5,000 cash. It does specify cash. I, had, I hope that Jose Canseco <laughs> just wants it like in a greasy old brown paper bag you're not even not uh, even a briefcase yeah. just <laughs> throw in the paper bag unmarked bill uncut unmarked bills left in a dumpster behind the local hobby lobby <laughs> uh, where morgan lives uh only five lucky individuals will get a golden ticket oompa loompas ain't got nothing on bigfoot travel in his <laughs> here's where it gets interesting here's where it gets interesting here's where it gets interesting okay. Tra- travel in his custom rv to authentic alien sightings and proven bigfoot habitats camp out in the wild tell stories and maybe meet a real bigfoot you never know what's going to happen with mr canseco parentheses food included only serious inquiries please now i don't know what's more terrifying uh, going out and, and, you know, to a Bigfoot habitat and to find an, also an actual alien or to spend a weekend in an RV with Jose Canseco. The, the yes. latter sounds far more terrifying. <laughs> I think me. you're going in without much regard for your own personal safety and well-being because there are any number of things that could happen to you on this. Really, none of them good. No, I don't see any out. Like, let's say hypothetically, you and Jose Canseco <laughs> do run across a Bigfoot. What then? Because if I'm if I'm encountering Bigfoot, maybe the last person on this earth I want to be with is Jose Canseco. He doesn't seem yeah, like really. the most rational, yeah. you know, person <laughs> in the world. And, and, and I would want someone if I came across a Bigfoot in the wild or an alien, I don't want someone who is guaranteed to antagonize it and probably try to wrestle it, mm-hmm. which yeah. I'm sure yeah. Jose Canseco will do. Jose Canseco would love a test of strength against the first Bigfoot slash alien. I mean, I don't. it sounds like he doesn't particularly care what he finds out there as long as it's something that is dangerous and that probably in his mind really delivers on the investment that whoever's come with him has made. And that could look like a lot of things. Yeah. You, yeah. You're probably, I, I guarantee you this Bigfoot habitat His he, he too has gone with the old booby trap method, which is digging a big hole covered in <laughs> sticks. And he's just hoping he's got a Bigfoot down there. Uh, so uh, I, I really love it's the quite, idea. It's quite a business venture. Yeah. yeah. So, so hopefully they return my call. Cause I want to see if this is still, on the table and li- dear listeners there are a lot of great uh causes for people to give to and i encourage them to but if anyone wants to set up a go, go fund me for me to go bigfoot hunting <laughs> with jose canseco i will gladly do it maybe we can match donations or something for a good maybe cause. this could be another return to like the nickelback challenge or trapped <laughs> in right. the cage that we did That's a couple right. of years ago like if we could we could get this Listen. together and fund uh you know you could you could this money could all end up going to to charity water or any other Wonderful except cause for, this except time of year. for five thousand dollars of it, which will be used for me and Jose <laughs> exactly. and yeah. to hit the RV, yeah. <laughs> hit the, get in the old, you know, jump in the back and hit the desert for a weekend, and I will tell this the tales. I feel call like it, call up your mom and dad, get the BB gun back. You're gonna need it out there. <laughs> Listen, I still got sticks and weaponry hitting all over my old neighborhood as a child. I guarantee you no one's found them. Okay. I'll load up. Me and Jose will be, we'll be just fine out there. I'm not, I'm not overly concerned about our safety. Okay. So uh second slice that someone sent me on the internet that, uh, uh, or on Twitter that I wanted to discuss today was they sent me a link to a website called catfreekids.org, And they asked me to solve this internet mystery. So a few weeks ago, 
a website appeared called catfreekids.org. Uh, uh, it has a, a, a uh, you know, a bunch of, uh, it looks, it almost looks like a political campaign site. And it says, get informed. Mm-hmm. While the cat industry, yeah. while the cat industry claims that some types of cats are safer than others, science proves that cats are a serious risk to kids. Get involved. It's time to make our leaders listen. We must protect our kids with these safeguards. In the fear, no cats are safe, but we have a plan to end this epidemic forever. And there's a very terrifying video. Chandler, if you don't mind if we just play uh, the first minute or so of this video. There's a new epidemic spreading. It's not underage drinking. It's not texting while driving. It's not vaping. Scientists say it can change your brain, releasing dangerous parasites into your body. Most importantly, it's addicting a new generation of our kids. It's called catting. The cat industry would like you to believe that cats are just cute and innocent, but the facts tell a different story. So I I couldn't, initially, this all seemed like some kind of weird uh, practical joke like that catting otherwise you know hanging out with cats is some nefarious uh type of activity right. that needs to be that needs to be stopped and and i was very confused looking through this site for a second right <laughs> were you as well i forget how you even stumbled across this in the first place yeah so well someone sent me on twitter to say if if, oh, okay. if if what uh what i could find you know because then okay. I, I even went on their twitter account and this is their Twitter bio. The cat, in, the, their Twitter bio. The cat industry had their dirty paws on our media, government, and kids too long. Now we're clawing back. Hashtag in the fear. Now I don't like cats. I will go right down there and say this. So if they just, if this was just someone with a massive amount of time on their hand and a massive amount of money to create a, a very slick looking website and video to prevent people from owning cats. That's fine with me. I'm not a big fan of domesticated animals. You know, mm-hmm. I, you know, I, I'm not a big fan of pets. Too much work. Too much work for me. Right. Uh, so but I was curious as to what this site is all about. Uh, but eventually I found some I, I, thanks to Reddit and kind of clicking around. I found what the the objective is of this campaign. This is actually an anti anti vaping campaign. So uh, they're they're it's an anti oh. anti vape. Is that a double negative? That's a double. It, so it's pro. Okay. It's not so vaping. much pro. Well, I guess technically it's pro vaping, but it's anti the anti vaping movement. Uh, so as okay. a lot of as some listeners may be aware. Recently, uh, in the last couple of months, there was like sort of a health epidemic where a lot of people were getting sick and some people had even uh, died yeah. uh, after vaping. And as a result, there was some a lot of talk of legislation to come down to uh, regulate the vaping industry. You know, the, the president famously spoke out against vaping. Um, and so there were sort of these... Uh, I don't want to say knee jerk reactions, but it was before doctors really had an idea of what were causing the, this vape related indi- uh, in- injuries, yeah. which, you know, the so the le- legislators kind of, like I said, took a knee jerk approach and started talking about ways that they could prevent people from vaping, particularly kids, which that's a good thing. You probably, you don't want kids vaping anyway. Um, but they're, but they do, but they did kind of what they do a lot of times when there's like a new trend among, among the team, among the youth. And, uh, it's easy to immediately jump to 
this is bad. The whole thing is bad. The whole industry is rotten. Let's ban it forever. Yeah, because as it turns out, now a lot of the, the doctors are saying that the illnesses that were caused that that in this sort of time of epidemic were likely because people were using black market like THC. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, vape pots. So or cartridges. So like people were using uh, unregulated uh, oil that contained basically concentrated marijuana that also had some bad chemicals in it that was making people sick. It wasn't necessarily the cotton candy jewel or whatever the kids uh, are, yeah, yeah, are yeah. smoking down in the, the concrete ditch away from their parents. <laughs> uh, again, I'm not saying I'm not saying that that type of vaping is good, but it, that's likely not what was causing all of these people to get seriously, seriously ill. So on their website, if you dig around long enough, you'll find this. There are very power. This is a quote from the website. There are very powerful. Powerful industry funded voices pushing for bans that make even less sense than banning cats. We hope you can join us in using common sense and allowing Americans and our neighbors around the world to choose something enjoyable and relatively safe, just like cats. So it's all kind of a big uh, work of satire to indicate so from their perspective, extremely involved, but as a method of kind of challenging a perception about something that there is sort of this mass scare about. What do you think about the method, Tyler, of using kind of high-minded satire to make a point about legislation? Yeah, I, I think that in general, I don't mind it. Like, I think fun campaigns like this can help draw a lot of a. Uh, a lot of like fun engagement and and find a kind of a backdoor to get people thinking of something kind of interesting. My thing with this one in particular is I think the method isn't really going to work on anybody who isn't already. Like I think the people freaking out about the the jewel stuff is mostly the boomers who who maybe aren't aren't really going to be all that drawn into a, a cat campaign like this one in particular. Do you know what I mean? Does that yeah. make sense? Like this takes a certain level of savvy that would lend itself to being suspicious of any reactionary uh, uh of any re reactionary attitudes towards uh vaping and jewels as it stands uh so i'm not sure that the I mean, this might be a case of like decent or, or kind of interesting and fun and uh method just geared towards an audience that I don't know. It's going to be particularly receptive towards it. Yeah, it. it I, I understand the point they're making. That you know, oh, absolutely. That yeah, that ju just scaring people into being afraid of something that there's no need to be afraid of. It looks absurd. I agree entirely. Yeah, I agree entirely with the point. Yeah, but is this the best method of showcasing? that vaping is safe for well, one vaping. Uh -huh. I think the, the, the point they're missing is whether it's safe or not. Vaping is super lame. That's the message we should be. <laughs> I don't know about the health. I mean, it seems like the health risk, uh, you know, a lot of people are pretty unsure of, but we are positive yeah. of this. It's impossible yeah. not to look lame while vaping. Why isn't that the message? The damage to your reputation. The damage to your social standing. Think, think about that. Do you really want to do? You, is this worth alienating your peers? <laughs> do you want to be the person that's vaping? Like, do you want to be the person that's hanging out at brunch? And you're like, hey, guys, I'm going to go outside. I need a quick hit of the vape. Don't be the vaper. There's no cool way Nobody to vape. Cares. It is it is the it, 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 it is the opposite of cool. Chandler, are you you you're a man about town? You know, you DJ on the weekends. Yeah. Are you yeah. Um, among the mm -hmm. consensus that vaping is on a short list of very very lame things to be seen doing? 
the 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 thing that blows my mind is that people start doing it and get addicted to nicotine. <laughs> like it's like I understand some people. It's like a they, yeah, they're trying yeah. to quit smoking, so it's it's something you can do to, yeah. to wean off or whatever. But the wild thing is that people start doing yeah, that. It's, it's like someone wearing what, like a Nicorette patch for the fun of it, uh, for fashion right, reasons, right. and they get addicted right, right. to smoking. <laughs> <laughs> like it doesn't make any sense. Exactly. exactly. That's, that's what blows my mind. But that is it, it's, it's like someone thing, who's never smoked before chewing the, 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 the smoking <laughs> gum just because they like the taste of it and then happen to you know start smoking four packs a day like there's nothing about this that's cool like i mean i understand the point of this campaign and i guess there's a degree of marketing savvy that goes into creating it but again i i think i think they're they're addressing the wrong arguments here you know i get the science is still out on how safe or unsafe it is but the facts are in you look very lame while vaping like <laughs> yeah, it's like your, your body your, your body can heal. Your social standing will never recover. It's like it, it's like shopping at a hot topic when you're 10 years too old. You just don't want to be in there. You don't want to be seen in there. That's that's what vaping is. Vaping is popping in hot topic when you know you're way too old to rock that nightmare before Christmas uh, you know, ironic sweater this year. Like it's just not like if you're if you're if you're you know if you're tempted with guy liner i would i would i would you know suspect that you might be in the vaping demographic and i we're just giving you a warning right now it's not a great look it's it's just it's just not the look you want to be going for you know so. yeah. all right I've got a few. Uh, I brought. I brought two stories as well. We'll go a little fast. I know we're running kind of long here. Uh, the first one. Well, I, I got a. I got a. I got a serious one, and then a much more serious one. The the serious one, and this is something that I think I maybe even discussed on here on the podcast before, or I think we've discussed on the site a couple of times. Uh, but it has to do with something that I've wondered if this was going to happen. I'd wonder if this would be a track that certain faith groups would try to take with the current administration. And it looks like they are. And I'll be very curious to follow the story and also the reactions to this story. So as we know, Trump administration taking a very hardline approach against immigration, uh, thanks mostly to the uh, the uh, a lot of the the beliefs, uh, the immigration and policy beliefs of Stephen Miller, who's sort of the uh, the president's right hand man when it comes to immigration, who's also exposed as having some white nationalist tendencies via some emails that were released over the past couple of weeks now the uh now what the the there's been a new cap sent on how many set on how many refugees the trump administration is going to allow in in 2020 uh, it's going to be 18,000 refugees total it's still a historically low number it's a record low uh, just for comparison the cap at the, the last year of president obama's year in office was 110,000 so now it's set at just 18,000 this has of course been very disruptive for groups that help resettle refugees here in the U.S., this has caused a it been a huge shift in how they operate. Many of these groups, of course, being faith groups, uh, 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 and a few of these groups are actually working with the federal government to help resettle. There are nine groups in the U.S. that help resettle refugees, and six of those organizations are faith based. Now. Three of those groups have actually banded together to bring a lawsuit to the Trump administration saying that this new track towards uh, towards immigration and refugees is actually represents sort of a, a, a threat to their religious freedom. 
because uh, the, the Bible, in the case of two of these groups, uh, the final group is Jewish. Uh, the, so the, the Hebrew Bible or the Old Testament, as Christians call it, uh, commands uh, love and compassion towards the stranger, towards refugees who come in. And they say that because of these new laws from the Trump administration, the new policy, it's a threat to their religious freedom. The lawsuit is being brought by a group called the HIAS, which is the Hebrew Immigrant Aid Society, also Church World Service, and the Lutheran Immigration and Refugee Service. Uh, the lawsuit, quote, keeps people of faith from fulfilling their faith calling and missions to welcome the stranger. So this is something I did wonder. I know that religious freedom is a is a big concern for people on the right and the left, obviously. You don't really hear religious freedom arguments coming uh, against the Trump administration very often because the, the administration has been so... Uh, so forceful and it's messaging to faith groups about religious freedom. So this, this sort of goes against that narrative in an interesting way. I'll be really interested to see how this lawsuit pans out. Do you think, do you guys think there's an argument here? Do you think they have a, a case to make? I, I mean, I, I think it seems like it. I mean, this is the same legal defense from that we discussed last week. Uh, you know, uh, that's correct. As it related yeah, yeah, to yeah. the story about there was a, an activist who was arrested because he would leave like water bottles and supplies in the desert to help immigrants who were crossing the border, basically to prevent people from dying out in the desert. And he, his legal defense for that was that him doing that was an exer was part of his free exercise of religion, that his religion commanded him to help immigrants and to help people yeah, yeah, yeah. So th it's sort of a similar legal argument that by restricting the, the, the number of refugees that come into the country, it inhibits our biblical calling to serve those immigrants and refugees. I, I mean, <clears throat> I, I'm not a legal scholar, but I like the approach. I, I, I do, too. Because I do too. mainly because even if, even if it's an unsuccessful legal strategy, at least it uh helps people view faith particularly in this case I, I think you said it was a a jewish organization as well as a christian organization is that right tyler two christian organizations and and a jewish one and particularly those faiths as uh serving refugees and immigrants being so important to the 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 core of exercising those faith practices that by restricting mm -hmm. the access to those people to serve that actually inhibits our ability to practice religion. I, I think that's a, a very good perception to create, even if it doesn't win the legal argument, at least it creates a perception that our faith compels us to help people who are in need. And like I said, even if it doesn't work from a legal perspective, which I hope it does, at least it, it furthers uh, it further underscores how important that is to faith. Yeah. And I think that it's a, it's a plus, uh, I think it, it goes what, what's kind of been difficult to do. It, it goes on the offensive a little bit on the behalf of refugees, instead of just reacting to everything that the, that the administration is doing, many of which have been very damaging and, and cost the lives likely of, of immigrants and refugees um, sort of taking the fight uh, to not just like you said, not just a a a lawsuit case. Which again, uh, I'm sure there are people, there are attorneys and and people with more political savvy than I have who would understand the likelihood of this case to succeed better than I do. 
but I think the narrative, like you said, is a is a really good one, and uh, and and puts the administration and people who are supportive of this administration's uh, tactics towards refugees. Uh, it, it makes them have to answer for how this is justified, which I do think biblically is a difficult one to do. Yeah. Uh, so I, I'll be I'll be really interested in following this, and would really like to hear from some of the people uh, like Franklin Graham, Jerry Falwell Jr., these gentlemen, what they think about this, because I think it's a, I think they make a good biblical case, whether or not the legal, uh, whatever the legal ramifications of it are. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I think it's a, it's certainly an interesting one to watch that falls right at the intersection of not just legislation, but also what we view as a core principle of our faith. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly. All right. So the other thing I want to talk about, this is much, this is even more serious and I'm sorry to bring two, two very heady, uh, so, so I'm trying to bring so much gravitas to this, but I, I don't, these choice do these stories choose me. I don't choose them. Okay. So I, I okay. just gotta go with, go with what we got here. Now, Jesse, as I'm, this is more my lane than yours, but as I'm sure, you know, um, the recent attempts at adapting Superman for the cinema have been very diff- have been fraught with complications. <laughs> I, I, I haven't even I haven't even watched the 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 DC ones with uh you know Ben Affleck with Batflick and Harvey Henry Cavill. Yeah, Henry Cavill. I I I haven't even watched those. Like they, they just are. I I'm not interested yeah, at all no in that to. new take on on Superman. Yeah, they're 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 not they're not very good, and it's especially tough because there've been you know I've I've got a lot of fond memories of watching those old Christopher Reeves ones growing up. So the folks over at DC uh, and Warner Brothers, who owns DC and and is is making these movies, are trying to figure out, according to them, how to make Superman relevant for a new generation, right? And obviously, they're struggling. The idea of an immigrant who falls to earth, is raped by Midwestern farmers, becomes a journalist, and then takes on an elite billionaire class. Very hard to adapt for these times. There's just not a whole lot of meat on those films. I don't see how how we can relate. I don't see how we can possibly relate. I don't think it can be done. Yeah, yeah. It's just not going to happen. But they did have a pitch from an interesting source. Uh, Apparently, Michael B. Jordan. Uh, who we're very excited to see uh, coming up here in Just Mercy. He's going to be uh, one of our most anticipated movies of the year. Where there, he went to Warner Brothers, sat down with them, says he has a fresh, a new vision for Superman. And apparently, they took the meeting. They're very interested in the idea that he pitched, which would, of course, star Michael B. Jordan as Superman. Uh, they can't commit to it right now because they wanted a multi-film deal from him. He's too busy at the time to sign up for one of those. So it's sort of on the back burner for the time being, but they do want to revisit it down the road in a couple of years here. Um, there's a little bit more to that, but first I want to get your reaction. What, what do you think about, about Michael B? You haven't, you haven't seen the Henry Cavill Superman ones. Uh, I don't know if you've ever seen a Superman movie. No. Well, here, here's my main thing with the Henry Cavill, uh, Superman movies. And this is, a, I'm not trying to be like personal against him. I've never met him before. I'm sure he's a charming fellow, but <laughs> I do feel like on screen, he lacks a little bit of charm. He, he lacks a sort of charisma. Yeah, like, yeah. I, I don't feel like there's anything interesting about him. I just feel like, especially his interpretation of Superman uh, from the little bits that I've seen here and there and, and kind of 
um, you know, the parts of the movies that I have seen, there's nothing that's really drawn me into him. Like he just seems like a guy playing Superman. You know what I mean? Like he doesn't have, he's not leaning on this charisma like a Christopher Reeves dead, right? Michael B. Jordan, yeah, yeah. on the other hand, is arguably one. Oozes. Oozes charisma. He, yeah, I was going to say, he's arguably one of the most charismatic actors working right now. I mean, everything he is, mm-hmm. everything he's in is interesting. I mean, okay, so you, you look at, especially his ability to invigorate a franchise film that already has some familiarity with the source material, mm-hmm. with a new sort of energy and attitude, he's really, really good at. So the Creed movies... I feel like are phenomenal. Even if you have no opinion of the the old Rocky movies, even if you've never seen the old Rocky movies, the Creed films instantly draw you in because he's such an interesting and likable actor. And and he has has sort of a grit to, to his, his, his style of acting. The other example that I feel like really showed what a powerful on-screen force he is, is when he became arguably the most compelling villain in the MCU. Not because he's the most powerful villain. I mean, there was a lot. I mean, this is a, this is a, a, a franchise that has a villain that can snap his fingers and wipe out the entire population of the universe. Yet, an ex-Special Forces soldier in Eric Killmonger in Black Panther, played by Michael B. Jordan, who has you know, basically no superpowers is the most compelling on-screen version in the entire Marvel cinematic, oh, in my opinion. Just up the game. Yeah. yeah, just up the game. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So that's why I, you can see why they'd be interested in having somebody like that who's just who's just that gripping uh, give, do, it, do his level best to re-energize that, that franchise, which re- could really use a shot in the arm. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I, I'm I'm really interested to see what they do here. The other thing that I thought was interesting is that from what I read, the the vision of the Superman franchise that Michael B. Jordan pitched is one that is a lot edgier, even than like the PG-13 Zack Snyder uh, movies, which were very mm-hmm. violent, very dark. Um, but it sounds like what he's pitching is more in line with Joker than it is in line with like, you know, Batman v Superman or kind of the DC extended universe. It sounds like more something that Warner Brothers would take in the direction of what Joaquin Phoenix did with Joker, which is reimagining the the pathos of a character mm-hmm. in a really interesting way. And I think that's, I mean, obviously Joker was made enough money where DC's like, yeah, we need more of, we want to do more of those type, types of movies because that movie made a billion dollars and, uh, and it was very, whatever your feelings about it, obviously they, they're just seeing dollar cents at this point. I did want to read, cause I thought this was very interesting. Uh, Eve Ewing is a, is a, she writes for Marvel comics. She's also a, an essayist, an author, an activist in Chicago, really love her work. Uh, she's, she's done a lot of really interesting, uh, work on, on black liberation in Chicago and, uh, has also gotten a job writing for Marvel. And she had a really interesting Twitter thread about this, uh, that I, I'm just going to read a clip from here. Uh, she said, quote, my thoughts on the idea of casting MBJ as Superman is that in order for that to work, we couldn't just pretend we live in a colorblind society. That's a joke. If you give me a black Superman film where he's just as beloved as America's golden boy, you're whack and you lie to yourself. Just dropping black superheroes into the mix hither and thither can't be just about representation on some two-dimensional-ish. If you're not engaging what it actually means for a superhero to be black, if you're treating their race like a 
it's incidental and immaterial, what are you doing? If you make a film where Superman is black, show me the people who constantly doubt him, hate him, mistrust him, and mock him. Show me the Facebook pages where they circulate memes of him. Show me the thinly veiled white supremacist pundits challenging him on TV nightly. Uh, and, and she goes on a little further, but I think that's a really great point is that you couldn't just do a, you couldn't just swap out Superman's race and pretend like that wouldn't have an effect on how he's perceived by a broader society. And I, and uh, I'm not saying that wouldn't be an interesting movie. I think it'd be a very interesting yeah. movie to tackle that. I think it'd be a great idea. I just don't know. You'd want to make sure you have the right people in the writer's room and the director's chair to make that kind of movie. Yeah, obviously it'd have to be executed well, but I think mm-hmm. films like, I mean, I, I go back to the example just because it's another you know, movie set in the DC universe that, you know, with Joker of they can pull in interesting social ideas effectively if it's done Mm -hmm. right. And I feel like the same could be said for a movie about Superman that has not just undertones, but direct storylines that deal with the implications of his race. Like I I feel like that Mm -hmm. would be super interesting and, and could cause a lot of, you know, really interesting and productive discussions. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I and I, I hope they do. I think it'd be yeah. a great way to take a new uh, to take a new look at something like that. So that was the uh, so that that was uh, it's it, we won't know anything about this for a couple of years yet. Obviously, this is all just kind of conjecture at the moment, but we know that Michael B. Jordan has had these conversations. I think it's pretty cool. And uh, we'll keep an eye on this as we got we got a few movies, uh, DC movies on the slate. I'm really excited about this Matt Reeves Batman movie. I hope that ends up being good. And and uh, maybe the rest of these DC movies can kind of catch up to the Marvel ones in terms of being uh, as, as as interesting as some of the source material lends itself to being. Well, that'll do it this week for Slices. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, Phil Wickham joins us. listening to This Year for Christmas by today's guest, Phil Wickham. Phil Wickham is a singer, songwriter, and worship leader, and recently released his brand new collection of holiday songs called Christmas. Along with some classics like Joy to the World and Hark the Herald Angels Sing, the album contains some brand new Christmas-themed originals. Jesse recently spoke with Phil about the album, some of its standout tracks, and what makes a great Christmas song. Here is part of Jesse's conversation with Phil Wickham. Yo, I love Christmas music, along with billions around the world and uh man i was just i was looking at this last christmas record i put out it's called songs for christmas and um man it's kind of stood the test of time over the last eight or nine years since it's been out i've I've been playing those out on christmas tours but it just felt like it's almost been a decade since the last time and uh there's some songs that, that have become some of my favorite songs ever written like joy to the world and hark the herald angel sings you know i've i've been going out on a Christmas tour every year with some buddies and we sing some of these songs. Um, and when you sing them every night, the the depth of the lyrics just kind of start to sink in. It becomes less of like a lullaby you heard it when you were a kid or something you heard in the back of a Lexus commercial during Christmas, you know, but um, it, it, it becomes, you start realizing how deep these lyrics are. Hark the Herald 
specifically, that song is just like, it's crazy how well written that is and epic the language is. And so I just thought, man, I'd love to put out a, a record with my take on some of these songs. And then also since the last record, I've, I've written a couple Christmas songs. Um, one of which um, is a is totally just a love song for my wife called This Year for Christmas, which, you know, I, I put out worship records usually. So there's rarely a good outlet to put out just a song about how much I love my wife. And uh, I thought, man, if there's ever time to do it, it's on this Christmas record. You took me by the hand, brought me in from the cold. You gave me the kind of love all the feels like home. Every season together. something about this record I felt zero pressure across the board which was maybe why it's one of my favorite records I've ever recorded Um, because really the only stipulation that me and producer Jonathan Smith um, is really mostly just us working away in the studio brought in a couple musicians Um, but the the one filter that we filtered everything through was uh, would we listen to this while we were like eating Christmas dinner or while we were making Christmas cookies with our kids, you know, like, is this something we would listen to? And that was the one filter. And other than that, we, you know, I I wasn't writing new songs for churches to sing. I wasn't making arrangements for churches to play. I wasn't making arrangements with radio in mind. Um, And even with the love song, like I wasn't thinking, um, man, I hope this, you know, it becomes some classic love song or, or, or rises to the top of all the schmaltzy mediocre Christmas love songs that I've heard out there you know I all of that was out of my mind and instead we just like we had a blast recording this record we put up a Christmas tree in the middle of June in the studio and uh put some Christmas lights up and and yeah just filtered everything to is this is this gonna be like turn the turn the fire on get the fire going turn the oven on get the Christmas cookies going is this is this something that I would want to put on so Man, zero pressure in every way. Maybe I should have felt more pressure. I, I was thinking, I actually got freaked out before it came out. I was like, man, I really didn't, we didn't think much about this record other than, <laughs> like, maybe I should have thought more about it. But honestly, I'm so pumped with what we turned out with. Christmas tour like Texas through Southern California um, which we just pretty much steer, steer clear of all snow in America you know and just stay stay in, in the south you know um, and uh, and we needed like an upbeat song to start out the tour a few years back and and so just out of necessity um, I worked up this version of Joy to the World and sent it to the band and they were all into it and so we've been playing it this way for like four years live and so it felt like, man, I've, I, honestly, when we finally record the record, I'm like, finally, we can get this this version down. Because this has always been a special moment to start the night out with that. Like, it's something about the arrangement and the energy and then 
adding this this other hymn into it, Joyful, Joyful, you know? Joyful, joyful, we adore thee. You know, going to that. It just like, it's like that beginning of the night, people just like kind of get fired up and stand to their feet. And so really, um, it was it was a no-brainer. Honestly, a big reason why I wanted to record the record was because we had versions ready to go of like Joy to the World and Angels We Have Heard on High and some of these new songs like Face of God had already been out there in the world and are living on YouTube in various iPhone version forms, you know, and I just thought, man, I'd love to to get some legit studio versions out where we could share it with more people than just the, the people that come to the Texas and California shows. Phil Wickham. Next up, Best of the Decade Editorial Question of the Week. You are invited to come and see the transparency and accuracy of the NET Bible. The NET, which stands for the New English Translation, is the newest complete English translation of the Bible now available. With over 60,000 notes documenting every major word decision and text rendering from its translation committee, the NET offers you an unprecedented look into the centuries-old work of Bible translators. Experience the transparency of the NET for yourself. Visit www.netbible.com forward slash relevant and download a free sample of the NET Full Notes Edition. That's www.netbible.com forward slash relevant. Come and see. You're listening to Paperbacks by Arlo Parks. Jesse, it is it is December of 2019. Right. How are you feeling? How are you coming, coming down? It's been, a, it's been quite a been quite a decade yeah it's it's what what a decade it's been and while before before we jump into this real quick tyler tyler chandler i've been thinking about some anti-vaping uh uh (laughs) analogies real quick before we jump into the best yeah sure. i feel like Uh vaping is the facial hair equivalent of of a very wispy goatee like ah you probably should trim that or not grow it (laughs) that's the message you're sending with the vape is the same message that that person with the wispy hair goatee is like oh it's vaping vaping is the equivalent of a non-ironic fedora i don't think you're pulling that off like you think you're pulling that off. vaping is the equivalent of a chain wallet you're not bringing it back no one is stealing it and it does not look hardcore it is sending the opposite message friendo vaping is the equivalent of a guy doing table side magic at, at the local pizzeria who is dressed more elaborately than Chris Angel. I'm talking deep, deep V, dyed black hair, uh, lots of bracelets. 
I'm all for table side magic. I will go out of my way to go to a restaurant that's that has table side magic, but I don't need the magician to have five dragon rings on each on each finger. Okay. <laughs> Black t-shirt's just fine. All right. I'm here for the card tricks, not for the elaborate, you know, wizardry uh, uh goth get up here. That's the vaping equivalent. I just wanted to send those out before we jump into the next segments for people that are concerned not about the health at risk of vaping, but of what it's saying about you. I'm trying to help you here. Okay. I'm trying to help you. All right. You're right, Tyler. It's been an incredible decade. And yeah, we asked people to send us uh, well, we're doing this throughout the month of December, right? We're going to, we're asking. I like this. Yeah. I like this a lot. And so I wondered, so we, last week we asked what Derek Miner set in as a guest host on last week's show, right before Thanksgiving. And he talked about some of his favorite albums of the decade. We asked listeners to send us some of their, uh, favorite, um, TV shows, movies, podcasts, books, albums, uh, and we can read through some of those. But Tyler, I mean, one thing I want to do, the question mm-hmm. that I get the one of the most frequently when I run into listeners of our show is what podcast do I like? So I put together a brief list, too, of some of my favorite actual podcast episodes of the last decade, uh, not just series. Oh, yeah. But if people are looking for jumping off points of particular episodes that uh, of shows that I, I personally have been really affected by of the last decade, maybe we can read some from our listeners and then I'll jump into a couple of, of re- really oh, yeah. uh, of, of, of some some particular hours of podcasts that uh, I really enjoyed, uh, you know, in the last decade. But first, maybe we'll read a couple of uh, things that our, our listeners sent us. Yeah, yeah. So you asked for for out for favorite albums, favorite movies, uh, podcast episodes, TV, uh, man, all kinds of stuff. So let so let's go. A lot of people responded. Um, yeah. Let's see. Rebecca, her favorite album of the last decade was the War on Drugs Lost in a Dream. Tyler, I know you're a big War on Drugs fan. On my list. Yeah, on my list list. for sure. On on my, yeah, it'll it'll, it'll crack my top 10. I I did uh, uh, on Twitter, I put together uh, a thread of my favorite four movies and albums from every year. Uh, and just and just put those together for people who are interested. A little Tyler trivia. I'm not saying there's going to be a test or anything like that, but but you can go check those out there. And then I'll be winnowing those down in the coming weeks here. But but lost in the dream for sure, making that final list. Re- Rebecca, she's got a good. She's got a really good list. She's she has interesting. She has interesting taste. Like I feel like the 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 TV shows. She said there are so many, and I feel like the the ones that she she picked. You could definitely make a case for Mad Men, Westworld, mm-hmm. and the marvelous Miss Maisel. All of which uh, have you know received a lot of critical acclaim. The interesting choice sure. that Rebecca chose for movie is one that I probably isn't going to be on a lot of lists, but I think it's worth mentioning because yeah. I to to be honest, I I never saw it after I read some of the reviews. I just it, <laughs> I, I, I abandoned it. I will say this: I talked to our old friend Tyler Daswick uh, about this at one point. This may be one of the best movie trailers ever. Just as a trailer, it has I a great song. It has a Monsters of Men song. Uh, the visuals are stunning. The film is The Secret Life of Walter Mitty. It actually mm-hmm. makes Rebecca's list of the top films of the decade. If you don't have time to go see the film, trust me, go watch the trailer on YouTube. It's one of the greatest film trailers in the last 10 years. I, it's just really, really cool. And, and Rebecca, you are not alone. I have, a, I have a friend who would say, favorite movie of all time, Secret Life of Walter Mitty. Wow. Yeah, I, a good friend. So I know there's at least two of you out there. Yeah. 
Walter Mitty, Walter Mitty fandom, represent yourselves. You're, yeah. you're doing, you're doing great. You got a great trailer for your favorite movie. I, uh, I, I want to mention Rachel. Man, she had a ton. Uh, I particularly Man, like. No I, I particularly like some of her TV choices with Stranger Things, Bob Burgers, Bob's Burgers, which is a show that you know I feel like doesn't get enough attention. Abstract, The Art of Design, Queer Eye. She had a lot of big Netflix fan. Uh, Rachel. Yeah, sure. Um, all, all Netflix stuff. What's interesting is uh, on her list of movies, Black Panther, The Help, Hugo, Easy A, Pitch Perfect, also has The Secret Life of Walter Mitty. So uh, There's a lot of you. There is this, I didn't realize this film had such a cult following. It's, we need maybe we need to revisit it. Maybe we should do a little like relevant takes a look back at the movies that shaped us. Secret yeah. Life of Walter Mitty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Any, any, uh, we have a ton. Do some of these other ones uh, jump out to so you? So many, yeah, so many great ones. Uh, a lot of people for podcasts are the relevant podcasts. Thank you very much. Uh, it's a nice video. We we like it. We do. Yeah. We try to do. Uh, Micah's Micah's on my level here. <laughs> I, I like uh, I like some of the movies that he's got. He's uh, Avengers Endgame. A little bit of recency bias, maybe, but can't deny it's a good movie. Uh, he really liked this. Is, I, I like when people have a mood like you know everybody's going to have like the social network on the on yeah. their favorite movies of the year, right? You know everybody's going to there's going to be those ones that are going to transcend, going to be part of everybody's uh, some of the like the La La Lands, some of the Marvel movies, yeah. Uh, but not many people are going to come through with Godzilla King of the Monsters, uh, which he put on his list. Also, 21 <laughs> Bridges, that just came out. That is like daisy fresh. That, Listen, that's like, if it's, no, if it's best I of the decade. Yeah, yeah. I didn't even know it was it's out fine. yet, but obviously yeah. Mike has seen it and he's all in. He's all in. All of his all of his movies are from this year, which makes me think he might have misread the question yeah. and thought it was just favorite movies of 2019 because he has Avengers Endgame, Godzilla, 21 Bridges, and Captain Marvel. Those are those are and then uh and then uh, I think it's the same thing actually for all of these. But hey, that doesn't mean that doesn't mean they're not good. I still like them. So there's a, there's a lot you can go on Twitter and look at more. But if it's cool, guys, can can I take a few minutes? Because like I said, this is a question that I get a lot uh, in terms of oh yeah I'm, because I can't wait. I feel like for me, the last decade, <clears throat> my media consumption has changed pretty dramatically. I would say mm -hmm. that early in my life, I watched a lot of TV. Later, I watched a lot of movies, read a lot of books. Then I kind of transitioned. I went to like a heavy music phase. And I still try to keep all of those things part of my life. But in the last 10 years, there's been no you know, m medium that I've consumed more of than podcasts. Right. I right. listen to podcasts. That's your thing. Yeah, I listen to it every single day and I listen to them. I have listened to them almost every single day for the last 10 years. And there's a couple episodes of different podcasts. There's some recency bias here, uh, but some of these date back uh, quite a few years that I and these aren't what I'm saying are the best. There's a lot of mm -hmm. uh, there's a lot of like really, really great work that's been done. Uh, you know, if you're a fan of history, if you're a, a fan of, you know, really deep interviews and, 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 and learning about things. But these are a couple that kind of stuck out to me that when people ask me like, hey, what's a good entry point for different podcasts? Here are a few of episodes that stuck out uh, to me. Um, there was a short list. Several of these are Gimlet shows. Chandler, I know you're a big yeah. fan of Gimlet podcasts, right? Yeah, for sure. They're so good. Reply All is my favorite. 
Yeah, well, I have actually, uh, uh, I have an episode of Reply All on on this list. But uh, one of the other shows that was a a short-lived Gimlet show is called Mystery Show. Chandler, did you listen to Mystery Show? The host was Starly Klein, who I think is brilliant. I have not listened to that one, no. So each episode, she solves kind of a low-stakes mystery. And uh, in the episode that I recommend people listen to, it's called Belt Buckle. And basically, this guy has, uh, when he was was a kid kind of the bad boy in his neighborhood who had the shoebox of treasures under his bed with like firecrackers and old baseball cards and that type of thing in that shoebox of treasures was a belt buckle that was the most unique belt buckle we'd ever seen it actually had toast that went popped down into a little uh, toaster and and it had like an, an interesting inscription on the back and this kid claimed that he found this this one-of-a-kind unique belt buckle in a gutter so the episode of this podcast tries to find where this belt buckle came from that this kid you know he came into his possession 25 years ago the journey that you go on through this podcast and the characters that you meet (laughs) while they try to find the origins of this belt buckle are so interesting and so heartfelt and so funny and i will say this there is a fantastic payoff in the end this is one of those podcasts where you will laugh, you will be interested, you don't want it to end, and when you get to the end, you might even cry. It is a fantastic oh, episode, wow. a great uh, hour of audio. It's the Bell Buckle episode of Mystery Show. So that's recommendation number right. one. Oh, I can't wait. I'm adding it to yeah, the list right now. Yeah, I'm going to listen today. Okay, so Gimlet also has a show, one of my favorite shows, called Heavyweight. It's hosted by Jonathan Goldstein, who if you're a longtime listener of This American Life, you'll recognize his voice. He's got a very dry delivery style style tells very interesting stories there is an episode called kenny so each episode of heavyweight the there's kind of a a loose theme around the show where he tries to kind of right a wrong of the past and this episode tells the story of stuntmen from the 70s particularly one stuntman who was a rival of a canadian rival of evil knievel and most of what the uh, you can still find about him is on youtube but that canadian stuntman who was a rival of evil knievel and sort of had a petrifying fear of a life-altering stunt had a sidekick whose real name was kenny powers who ended up being <laughs> loosely the basis of a character for Eastbound and Down. One of the funniest, most interesting, again, kind of story rabbit holes uh, that you can go on in podcast form. The story of the actual Kenny Powers and the uh, evil Knievel rival that never really got his due. Fantastic, super interesting. Listen, okay, uh, Reply All. Again, Chandler, one of my favorite uh, uh, podcasts of all time. Uh, you're a big fan of the show. Chandler, what is your favorite episode of Reply All if you had to pick one? There was one where they like went to India to find... Yeah. To find call scammers. Um, yes, right, right. That was wild. It was, yeah, I, I did was, listen to that one. I that, was like that was a lot harder. That was like yeah, a journey. It spanned yeah. like a handful of episodes. Yeah. I'd say like like that in particular was like the first I've I ever experienced like a podcast going that hard. You know what I mean? Yeah. To like get to the yeah. bottom of something. Uh, but yeah, yeah, I think I, I don't know. I, I like all of them, to be honest. But. So the one episode that I chose for this list that I would uh, recommend people listening to is called the, the Cathedral. And we actually did a story on the same individuals that are that are highlighted in this story in, in relevant years ago. Uh, and it looks at the makers of a video game called That Dragon Cancer. And so oh, a brief man. synopsis of yeah. the episode 
is there is a video game designer whose son becomes very ill, potentially terminally ill. He and his wife are devout Christians, and they are praying for his healing. And the way they want to express the journey uh, through praying for his illness and what they see as building a monument to their faith is by creating a video game. And I kind of use the the word video game kind of lightly because it's almost like an interactive art piece that you kind of journey through. Um, and they hope that it will be sort of this testament to God's healing. And I don't want to give too much away of what happens in that story, but I've never had an episode of any podcast, you know, including, you know, discussions with theologians wreck me emotionally as, as hard as that one. And also Mm -hmm. challenge and encourage my faith as hard as that one. It's one of those episodes. It's, it's really good, especially for Christians because it's, it's not as it doesn't have sort of, I don't want to give the give away the ending, but it's not what you would you you know probably expect from the outset. But it's nonetheless incredibly encouraging, and I would uh, I would highly highly recommend people listen to Reply All's episode the the, the Cathedral. But warning, it is pretty emotional. Uh, a couple more on the list. The I love ninety nine percent invisible, which tells stories mm, about design yeah. and yeah, how so design good. affects our world. But really, kind of the story. It's not so much a. a it's not like a uh, like an art podcast it's really about the stories behind design there's a fascinating episode about called fordlandia that when henry ford decided to build an entire sort of like picturesque american town in the middle of the amazon rainforest and uh it was almost sort of a walt disney type of vision for what a town could be and he would build cars there and change a way of life in the middle of these acres in the middle of the Amazon uh, rainforest. Uh, it tells the story of his vision and also what went wrong. It's kind of a story about the hubris of design and industry, but it's also just a really fascinating story about a forgotten place it's called Fordlandia. It's an episode of 99% Invisible. Uh, I've loved Mark Maron's podcast over the year, WTF. Again, uh, as the name would indicate, the episode does, the, the show does have some profanity. Little blue. Little blue, but he did uh, a few years ago a long sit down conversation. You know, a lot of his guests are actors, musicians, comedians, uh, people like that. But he did a long sit down interview with Jay Baker. Uh, Jay Baker is famously the son of Jim and Tammy Faye Baker. Um, and Mark wants to really understand his story. And it turns into a story about trauma. It's a conversation about faith. It's a conversation about doubt. It's a conversation about sobriety and addiction. It is a fascinating and really a moving emotional conversation. I encourage people to listen to it. I also uh, kind of one of my, I feel like everyone uh, has listened to at some point uh, interviews with Terry Gross. She's one of my favorite interviewers, the host of NPR's Fresh Air. Um, I love Fresh Air, but there's an episode, there's a clip from an episode that I frequently find myself coming back to because as you can tell from this list, like we spend a lot of time doing what I, what we try to be is a pretty like funny and light podcast, but I kind of like digging in to podcasts that have some um, emotional depth, uh, uh, sometimes. And those are the ones that really stick out to me, you know? Uh, and there was a conversation with John Hodgman. John Hodgman is, I, most people would probably recognize him. He was a Daily Show correspondent. He played the Mac or the PC and the mm-hmm. Mac and PC ads, mm-hmm. but he's a humorist. He's a really funny guy. And he came on uh, Terry Gross's Fresh Air to talk about his uh, one of his books. 
and they started talking uh, about his personal biography and his mother who his mother like him uh you know lost their lost their faith and towards the end of her life he had a really interesting interaction with uh with his mother that kind of changed his perception of faith and these are my favorite con- conversations and it's the ones that we try to bring to you here at relevant but i want to bring uh, about a, it's just a it's like a two and a half minute clip of this conversation with john hodgman for the context he is talking about after his mother uh was on her deathbed even though she was an atheist and he had declared himself an atheist they found themselves frequently reciting the lord's prayer together chandler if we can play that clip the interesting part of my mom reciting the Lord's Prayer was that she was reciting the Catholic Lord's Prayer. Uh, I'm forgetting, forgetting how it starts. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's already beautiful poetry. I mean, it's just the meter of it is incredible. Uh, give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. And that's where it stops in the in the Catholic tradition. And first of all, one of the things I remember is like, I love saying the word trespasses. It's such a great, I don't know why I, I, I never said trespasses. I said trespasses. And the forgiveness in it, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. It's like, I'm not sure that I can be convinced that I've always forgiven those who have trespassed against me. But this gives me something to aspire to. But then it was my, my wife, then my very new wife, Catherine, in the room who said, it's funny, I grew up Episcopalian and we had more. And at the end, instead of uh, deliver us from evil, forgive uh, our trespasses, um, well, anyway, she would say, in the Episcopalian tradition, you would add, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory. Amen which frankly is not my favorite part of the Lord's Prayer because it's really worshipful and less poetic than the first part. But my mom had never said it, and now she added it to the prayer, hmm. um, which was uh, – it was an amazing moment. Was it kind of, you know, wasn't it like an acknowledgment that she was dying when she – It was an acknowledgment of death, but it was um, – I just need a second. I'm sorry. Sure. No, go ahead. It was um, a gift that my wife was able to give to my mother. And and to me, because I certainly had never heard it before. And then uh, something we could all share together as an extended family for a very brief period of time. Do you still find yourself saying the Lord's Prayer to yourself? Yeah, every night. Every night? Yeah. Uh, Yep, pretty much. I mean, as you can tell, it's another really moving piece of audio that I've kind of come back to over the years, particularly when they're talking about the power of the Lord's Prayer, that even... That prayer is so powerful that even if you're questioning your faith, there's power in those words that, uh, you know, Jesus told us to recite. And you're you're hearing the vulnerability of someone who's a humorist and a comedian get very emotional when talking about the Lord's Prayer. And 
and death. And I feel like that's what I've loved about podcasts over the years is that not only do they have the ability to tell really moving stories, but I feel like the medium allows people to be vulnerable in a very different way than even even like video does. People, when they're on video or on TV or there's a camera in their face, they're very conscious of how they look and, 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 and their mannerisms. There's an intimacy to the audio format where you get to put people directly into your ears. It's just you and them. You know, like when you have earbuds in, you're the only one who's hearing what you're hearing at the moment you're hearing it. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. I feel like the ability for podcasts to bring that sort of uh, intimacy, but also allow for the vulnerability that people have when there's not a camera in their face is really powerful. And I feel like the last 10 years has really given rise to this medium. And I, I want to, you know, just speaking of the kind of rise of podcasts over the last 10 years, thank our listeners for sticking with us and listening to us and, and spending time with us. Like it means a lot. And we've had a lot of good times on the show in the last 10 years. And yeah, I've really loved the medium. I love doing this show and hopefully uh, more people continue to engage with it. Yeah, I think that it's been it's been really fun. It's obviously been the been a way for us to make a lot of friends, people who've, who've both listeners, uh, obviously just even the people who've been on the show have been able to to meet a lot of great people, the guests and the the other hosts, and uh, we're really grateful for it. We don't we don't take it for granted. So so thanks for tuning in, y'all. And I think on that that. Uh, sweet note. We better wrap it up. It's uh, uh, that's that's about that time. Thanks for bringing all those. Thanks for doing all the work to bring up all those, Jesse. Yeah, it was fun. I I love I love podcasts, and it's always fun sharing <laughs> sharing gonna, something you love. You know, I'm gonna listen to and all. We'll be, of yeah, we'll and... be bringing some more stuff, some more uh, movies and albums and stuff over the the coming weeks here as we wind down 2019. Hey, w- many thanks to our friend Phil Wickham. Always great when he joins us. He's always very generous with his time and his and his wisdom and his art. Christmas is out now. You can pick it up wherever you buy or stream your music. Also, well, as long as you're on our Apple Podcast page, I hope you're listening to Relevant Day. Uh, I bring you the top three stories at the intersection of faith and culture every single weekday that you need to know. Uh, You can check that out. You can even give us a good review if you like. And uh, with that, I think we are going to wrap it up. I'm Tyler Huckabee. Chandler String. I'm Jesse Carey. Have a great week, everyone. We'll see you at the end of the week. Stay away from vaping. It might be safe, but you look super lame. for listening to the relevant podcast if you like what you heard be sure to leave us a review on itunes check out other shows from the relevant podcast network in the podcast section at relevantmagazine.com. and while you're there browse exclusive podcast merchandise at our online store make sure to subscribe to relevant magazine info is available at relevantmagazine.com forward slash subscribe I'm sorry you weren't thinking that the manger would be made out of sticks this year, but I think it looks pretty authentic. Relevant Podcast Network.